the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics with a paranormal podcast that takes a little peek under the hood of the strange and the unexplained. Um, ben, I think you've got something grim and out of this world for us this week, right? Yeah, I have. So I, it's a new year. Uh, this is the second podcast of the year. And here in the UK, we're stuck in lockdown again. And there is a certain amount of gallows humour to what I want to explore today. But I thought, look, we might as well embrace it and just kind of get on with it. And over Christmas, I've been reading a number of books that I've been meaning to get around to for a while. And one of them really piqued my interest because it was about the origins of the Grim Reaper. Now the, it, does seem, it does seem very appropriate at the moment, doesn't it? It does. It <laughs> I've, really does. I've been thinking about the Grim Reaper a lot more over the last six months than I probably ever have ever. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's a character that is, it appears in comic books, it appears in uh, like fiction, like Terry Pratchett makes a big thing about death, um, who appears in... Uh, like the Discworld novels and um, a lot of his... It's very, very Terry Gilliam as well. It's very Terry, Terry Gilliam, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And and this was all because I was thinking, like, right now we're not even allowed to go around to other people's houses. And I was thinking, you know, gosh, what must have this been like when it was plague times? We, you know, we'd have probably had painted crosses or whatever on our doors and so i thought it might be quite interesting to have a look at the origins of it and the origins turn out to be um perhaps a lot weirder than anybody really imagined i mean it's a pretty weird subject anyway so i'd be intrigued to see how much weirder it can get (laughs) yeah no absolutely so the grim reaper i think we all know what he looks like it's a skeletal figure shrouded in a sort of a dark hooded robe and he carries a scythe which i think most people assume is the uh the thing that he uses to reap human souls and that right i think is how we would all know it that's what you would know at a halloween party or whatever and a hell of a chess player a hell of a chess player (laughs) yes and uh so if you look at conventional wisdom the grim reaper goes back in in european history to the 14th century and the sort of accepted theory around this is that was the time when we had the previous terrible pandemic the black death um the plague and during that time uh, a third of europe's entire population was taken out as a result of that pandemic and so the original outbreak of that plague is like 1347 to 1351 and then there were several other outbreaks after that so death was something that surviving people had on their mind and the way that they you know the the accepted wisdom is the way that people deal with that is they personify it so people personifying death as the grim grim reaper isn't you previously the 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 sort of the notion of death had been um personified either uh, as a god or as um some sort of deity that yeah. came and came and took the souls 
And, well, and also, it makes me think. Uh, I think were they called plague doctors or whatever? That they right. They're, 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 there's there's quite the air of the theatric about that time period because there was the cloaks, wasn't there? There was the kind of beak like masks, which I think they were called plague doctors. They were right? called plague doctors, yeah. And they wore that weird mask. So there was there was it was all very theatrical, even from that point of view. That's right, right with the with the big beak, and yep. that actually comes into this. So the the book that I was delving into was. Uh, it's called Gods of Eden by uh, an author called William Bramley. And he has a chapter, well, there are a couple of chapters that cover the topics we're going to talk about, but he has a chapter on the Black Death. And what he is talking about is something that once I started delving into it, I found a number of other authors had discovered as well, which is the actual personification of entities which were there during the time of the plague, which were then turned into the image of uh, the Grim Reaper. So let me start by telling you, so this is um, an account from 1682, but it refers to a time uh, from the previous century. It refers to 1559. And this is a, um, it's not an eyewitness account, obviously, but it's a record from 1682. And to quote verbatim, it says, In Brandenburg there appeared in 1559 horrible men, of whom at first 15 and later on 12 were seen. The foremost had beside their... uh, posteresia so i think that's like probably posterior (laughs) that's easy for you to say yeah (laughs) um little heads the others fearful faces and long sides with which they cut at the oats so that the swish could be heard at a great distance but the oats remained standing when a quantity of people came running out to see them they went on with their mowing so what we've got there is uh, an account sort of um, just over a hundred years after the outbreak of plague, and what the account then goes on to say, it it's kind of goes on with a lot of this flowery language, which would embarrass my tongue if I carried on with it. <laughs> but after this account from Brandenburg, it was immediately followed by an outbreak of the plague. Wow! And. What is kind of interesting there is that it describes these horrible men, which is a direct quote, and they've got these small heads and they've got these peculiar features and they've got these devices which are described as scythes. And the interpretation of the people at the time, it clearly says, is that they are in a field scything crops. But the crops... Which reminds me of the devil mower or whatever it is in oh circles, yeah right? no absolutely it does sound like that the original um crop circle account but it does because they talk about the sound of this you then start to come up with the thought that perhaps these aren't scythes they are devices right, right? there's it, it and so it's a group of uh non-human entities with devices that's the that's the sort of peculiar thing. The sound of technology, basically. Yeah, the sound of technology. And um, what 
we'll discover is that perhaps those devices are the cause of uh, of the plague. So he okay. also, in his book, has this other account. So this one is from Hungary, and this is a contemporary account from 1571. And uh, so it goes on to say, in the year of Christ, 1571, was seen at Kremnitz in the mountain towns of Hungary on Ascension Day in the evening to the great perturbation of all when on, and this is a uh, Hungarian word which I'm going to get wrong, but Schlerlersberg, Schlerlersberg, I think, there appeared so many black riders that the opinion was prevalent that the Turks were making a second raid but who rapidly disappeared again, and thereupon a raging plague broke out in the neighbourhood. And then the author goes on to explain that a feature of this raid was the stinking mist. And this stinking mist is repeated again and again in connection with the plague infection. So all of these uh, accounts from around that period, they talk about this, this mist... And some people describe it as um, being dark as night. Other people talk about it as um, uh, like this dank, dark thing that um, is sprayed out. And sprayed out is definitely a term that is used. Right. And and they say that the plague is transmitted by inhaling this stinking mist. And like you rightly said there... From our own image of the plague doctor, he has this beak. Yeah. And that beak was stuffed with sweet smelling items. That right. was the whole reason for it being there, because the plague was associated with this horrible stench. And in current sort of accepted historical terms, those the, the stench comes from the fact that, well, we've you know, this is a time with open sewers, poor personal hygiene, and then the people who are infected with this, they are going to not be particularly pleasant to deal with. They've got, they've got pustulating sores all over them. Right. They've, they're likely to have um, terrible breath because these pustulating sores infect the mouth as well. And so we've come to accept that the reason that these plague doctors go around with these beaks full of sweet smelling stuff is because okay there was that like this simplistic uh acknowledgement that um the smell uh of the you know the death and the disease was what caused you to be infected but maybe it goes deeper than that i think all of our modern history is discounting these very credible accounts of these peculiar beings that seem to be going around spreading this this well, as they say, stench of a mist. Wow! I'd, I'd say you describe it as a kind of dark mist rather than a fog. It's not yeah. like a, you know, not a light fog. It's I, I, I it made me think of pollution as soon as you started talking about it. You know about you know the the I don't know like when you see bits of shanghai and places like that where there's those pollution clouds it did make me think of that when you just when you first described it yeah i think that's that's right but it also makes me think of chemical weapons yeah it, it okay. makes me think of yep. like the first world war when 
everybody well at the first and the second world war so in the second world war you know all british civilians were issued with gas masks because yeah, of the mustard gas and stuff the mustard the gas yeah. World war, yeah that's right and uh so uh, you know as an aside we all know that those uh, gas masks were largely rudimentary and wouldn't have worked, worked. but yeah that's that's kind of aside that um those those initial chemical uh, warfare systems were that they were visible you could see the expulsion of the gases now what you probably wouldn't have been able to see is if we if if chemical uh, sorry if biological warfare was being used because that would be an entirely different matter and i think what we're referring to here is you know it probably it's it is a biological weapon so if we assume that these entities are using some sort of biological weapon then you then i think have to ask why why would that possibly be and when you say entities um where in where in this theory do they come from are they aliens are they interdimensional beings or i guess they could be either really Uh, well yeah anything else but it seems more doesn't seem uh paranormal with a big p uh yeah no that's true that's true but um we'll go on to uh some more stories because these appear to be like and like i say entities that aren't of this world but you're right where do they come from and, so, and are we saying it's it in this theory it's sounding more like a a deliberate biological attack rather yes. than a byproduct of something else yes yes it's a deliberate attack that's exactly okay. right yeah yeah because and, i was i was thinking when i was thinking about the pollution side you could have entities or beings you know with technology who come who don't realize that the byproduct of that technology would negatively affect the population but this sounds a bit more sinister than that yeah it does it does and like as i say we'll go on to look at um other things that brought disaster and plague but these particular entities um if those accounts are true and you know there's no reason to not believe them because um you know they're they're recorded and they were written up at the time by reputable people including you know members of the church and whatever then you have to wonder like for me all of this suggests perhaps an experiment by the genetic engineers of the human race that is kind of that's right where it comes out at right but but this 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 is this is very interesting let me go on and tell you about um uh, something else which happened before this time yeah no, so, you've got me hooked now <laughs> so those those accounts are about uh characters and if you like sort of they're manually spreading the disease with machines that are carried about the person right but but there are accounts of ufos carrying plague and those accounts are if anything kind of more pervasive so this is an interesting one uh between uh 540 and 592 a.d 
there was a bubonic plague that swept the Eastern Roman Empire and it spread to Europe. And it was inside the jurisdiction of a Roman governor called Justinian. So it was initially known as Justinian's Plague. That was right. that was how the, the, the people within that area referred to it. And it was a really devastating plague. In fact, it was more devastating than the plagues that were to come in the 15th and 16th centuries. And later on, it became uh, known as God's Plague. And one of the reasons for that, it, it, that history books record, is that it was seen as a punishment from God for reforms being made around Christianity in the Roman Empire. So at that time, the Roman Empire had absorbed the sort of the notion of Christianity, but there was a bit of a pushback and there were different versions of it that were allowed and disallowed in various parts of the empire. And um, it was seen like by a lot of people, um, particularly Europeans, who were at that time becoming sort of devout uh, Christian believers, that this was a payback for what was being done by uh, the Roman Empire. By the Roman Empire. Yeah. But another reason that um, this book says that it was known as God's Plague is because of the frequent appearance of strange aerial phenomena that were directly associated with an outbreak. And there's an historian at the time, he was known as Gregory of Tours. And he records the, for the following incident. And this is just prior to an outbreak of plague in uh, 567 AD in Auvergne in France. And he states that, and this is a direct quote, there were three or four brilliant lights appeared around the sun and the heavens appeared on fire. And later on, he goes on in his account to report sightings of an immense dragon floating over Rome. So this is like he's moving around Europe. He's not just like he's not in France and then in Rome. It's in different times. Right, right. Uh, and then he talks about this sighting of this immense dragon floating over Rome, also preceding a disastrous outbreak of the disease. So what we've got there is a, uh, a chronicler it deeply involved in the Roman Empire. He wasn't seen as an outsider or anything like that. He was, you know, he was like um, like a modern-day vlogger, I guess. And um, he's travelling around writing reports about all sorts of different things. But one of the things that he specifically focuses on is these aerial sightings seen before outbreaks. And I'm... Like, I wish he'd written more, but this one about the outbreak in Rome and this immense floating dragon is, yeah. I think, astonishing. What, like, an, a really it's amazing it's thing to come up with. Yeah. And it, it's reminded me of, you know, you see those religious paintings that have imagery in there which people have uh, made connections to ufos and you know there's a lot of, of of early religious imagery that has those shapes that look like like a classic ufo or with beams of light and stuff coming down i was thinking of those while you were talking about it yeah absolutely absolutely and and this sounds again very much like chemical or biological warfare it really yeah. does 
Um, so I've got an eyewitness account, which is about 800 years after that. But I found uh, a website which uh, sort of specialises in pulling out eyewitness accounts from medieval times of peculiar aerial phenomena. And this That's one is, is dated somewhere between 1347 and 1350 AD. It comes from Florence in Italy. And there's a writer. Oh, I love Florence. Uh, Have you ever been? It's amazing. Oh, it is utterly oh, one, glorious. It's one of my favourite places in the world. Sorry, I interrupted you, but you it, might not like it, it was, after you hear this. Oh, really? I don't, don't say it's been 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 chemically weaponized by flying saucers. <laughs> it it, it kind of it's has. been chemically weaponized by flying saucers. Oh no! <laughs> so this writer Gianfranco Degli Esposotti. Again, easy for me to say. <laughs> yeah. um, and he says, uh, he talks about in his report, reports relating to the period of the famous Black Plague between 1347 and 1350. And he talks of strange cigar-shaped objects slowly crossing the sky, sometimes at low altitude, dispersing in their passage a disturbing mist. Wow. He, he attributes the Black Plague to these objects because immediately after the appearance of these shocking events, the epidemic exploded in that area. In Florence, a huge mass of vapours appeared in the sky coming from the north. It spread throughout the land. In the east of the same year, many animals fell from the sky. Their decomposing animal carcasses were said to make the air fetid and to cause the spread of the infamous illness that was fatal in India, Asia, and Britain. In Florence alone, it killed 60,000 people. Oh, that's not how I remember Florence. No. <laughs> <laughs> so what we've got there is a, a, a mixture of different eyewitness reports. Admittedly, we're, we're flip-flopping between timescales of about seven to... Uh, Sorry, eight to nine hundred years, yeah. but but we've got the common factor is there is a peculiar sighting, be that uh, some sort of entity or some sort of ship, and then a mist, a terrible smell, and then an outbreak of this disease. Uh, uh, I guess it's. I was. I know. I, I was going to make a huge leap. It's. It seems like. All of these encounters are, you know, just post the birth of the alleged birth of Jesus Christ. Is, is there anything pre-Jesus? Is there a religious connection to this, or is it just it's just because that's where records really start happening? Yeah, I think that's where records really start happening. Um, I don't have anything that is BC related. No, right, right. It'd be difficult to know, I guess. Yeah, but. This, these, these sightings and this sort of thought of warfare and biological or chemical warfare and the fact that I guess what we're saying here is that these, there is the insinuation here that this plague comes from space. That's kind of what we're saying. It seems to be going in that direction, doesn't it? Or interdimensional, but let's stick yeah. with space for now because otherwise you, you kind of feel... You wouldn't potentially need these crafts, would you? So, because there, there's lots of talk of cigar-shaped crafts, and you know your classic kind of saucer-shaped crafts. 
um, crafts and lights in the sky. That seems very UFO-y rather than interdimensionally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I thought I would have a little look around and see if there was any scientific basis to this at all. Not necessarily based on, you know, Grim Reaper-type beings or uh, UFOs. And then I uh, bumped into uh, something called the Hoyle... Wix Ram... Oh, God, this is so hard to say. Wix... <laughs> you have picked some really big names today, haven't you? Wix Ramisk... Wix Ramisk... Let's call it Wix Ramisk. Let's uh, do that. And this is... Uh, it's a model of panspermia, and it's named after uh, two people, Chandra Wix Ramisk and Fred Hoyle. Okay. And... They have what they call is uh, their model of panspermia. And they have this theory that um, not only do asteroids and comets bring the seeds of life, which are uh, DNA and RNA, um, and those things can survive, you know, interstellar travel, but they also put forward the theory that pandemics on earth are caused by basically what they're describing are virus flotsam and jetsam landing in the earth's atmosphere and uh causing the infections so the two of them together suggested that um some of the big flu outbreaks uh have been down to this um panspermia right and the reason that they suggest this is their kind of theory is that there is a uh, a sort of if you like a galactic center which is their term for it where uh it's almost like a big bang of um dna and rna and different proteins and that's where all of the uh life across the universe comes from and then uh, the sort of the aftermath of it washes over the earth and brings us these viruses and these outbreaks so whilst this is a different point of view they're not suggesting deliberate they're not saying it's deliberate and they're not saying that there are these alien beings who are deliberately messing with us biologically they're saying that these things don't originate on earth they come naturally from outer space that's that's their kind of view and sorry were they saying that that they come for a from a specific part of space or are they saying that you know they just generally fly i I didn't quite get that bit that you were saying they're saying there is a region where this stuff exists yes so what they're talking about is that this galactic center is sort of it's like the big bang for life so they don't they don't say where this is but what their theory suggests is that there is a place where the right amount of you know gases and chemicals came together and that's where dna and rna became you know invented if you like that's where it formed because of a coming together of all the right elements and that is just like the big bang where uh, you, if you detune a radio and you can hear the hiss, that hiss is yep. the the reflections of the Big Bang from millennia ago. That is what 
we're seeing now when so when these viruses wash over us that's what we're getting it's it's waves coming from this uh galactic center like the residue yeah 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 but but that that was the original thing that caused us so what they say is in that panspermia many 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 billions of years ago the original life on earth formed because a piece of dna from this galactic center came and landed in the upper atmosphere it survived the journey through space and it found a fertile ground to grow now i do have to say that there are not many scientists that agree with this <laughs> okay fair enough um <laughs> Although but, it did make me think, I did hear there was a story quite recently about Voyager 2 leaving our solar system. I don't know if you saw this story. And that the data it's giving back suggests that uh, the outside of our solar system, uh, I'm not going to do this quite justice, so please, everyone, feel free to have a Google. But outside our solar system, uh, space is more dense than inside our solar system, which they weren't expecting to do with the number of electrons. But then there were similar results that were sent back from Voyager 1 when it left our solar system, and it's kind of slightly baffled scientists. I'm not saying there's any connection between what you're talking no, about. No, no, interesting. It, it does say there is weird areas of space where stuff happens in a way that we weren't quite expecting. Right, interesting. Well, I mean, like, we've only got, you know, we haven't got very far into space, so it doesn't right. particularly um, surprise me. But I mean, I, I keep, I, I, mean, I mean, you may touch on this more, but I think this theory kind of makes sense to me, you know, because, and even, even from a scientific point of view, if you're open-minded that life could have started from an asteroid or a meteor or some somehow crashing into Earth you know, you, you've got to be able to go, well, actually, bad stuff can come as well as good stuff, right? That's, right. that's got to be open-minded. And and the thing I keep thinking about your kind of Grim Reaper sightings and, and, and this chemical warfare, you know, isn't the argument back, surely if their technology is strong enough to get here, they could just kind of wipe us out in one go? It seems quite... It's quite targeted unless they're trying to micro-manage political systems, which I guess you were alluding to with the Roman Empire. It's the Roman Empire is getting out of control. We need to set a pandemic. But you could probably do it a bit more subtly than, you know, coming down in a ship and spraying gunk out the back. Do you know what well, I mean? Well, yeah, you, you could, although it does make me think of, the you know, the way we test vaccines on mice and monkeys maybe yeah, right so they just they just don't care if they're seen no that's right yeah no they don't care because we're because we're irrelevant to them well either we're irrelevant or what they're trying to do is well so it's it's hard to come up with a theory because you know we don't know if we are a biologically engineered race what what the motivation might be but if you were say a lot of people talk about in the current pandemic giving people herd immunity yeah. and herd immunity at its basic level without a vaccine just means 
everybody gets it and it's survival of the fittest that's kind of what it is and the people who can live through it are the only ones that survive that's right that's right so what if this you know the controllers of this experiment decided that they wanted to create herd immunity to this particular thing either for some kind of biological experiment or because they realized that sooner or later this would be you know the, the this particular disease would have an impact on their uh the their experiment and right i i think that's a really intriguing way to look at it and and also like we always say like what would be the motivation of these people the only motivation i could see for recording and i you know those sorts of eyewitness accounts be they of uh you know craft in the sky or uh, ground entities would be uh something allegorical Mm -hmm. so it's it's almost like um uh, building in a portent into your story i i saw this and then this happened Mm -hmm. and that is completely possible as well because these are these are writers and they are presumably used to using more flowery language they're not necessarily recording particular scientific Mm -hmm. things that in observation and you're right when you say are these things post the birth of christianity yeah they are so maybe what they are trying to portray is that there is a devilish demon side to all of this. So I think that is worth considering. Well, because I think if, if, if you were running a major religion at that point and you knew that these things existed, you'd want to mysticize and demonize them because, you know, it could mean the game's up for you if, if people believe in them, right? Yeah, right, yeah, I think that's true. Do you, that's do you see true. what I'm saying with that? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it's funny, while you were talking, I, 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 and it's popped into my head a couple of times, I keep thinking about the, um, the Mothman of Point Pleasant because there's that thing of you see something and then disaster happens and it yeah. seems like a lot of your stories outside the, you know, the interstellar goop (laughs) naturally falling to earth do you know somebody sees something strange and then the darkness happens right yes yes absolutely yes yes and and you do have to ask yourself how many times did somebody see something and nothing bad happened absolutely it it is a it is a weird one um but to bring it back to uh the the figure of death himself i thought it'd be quite interesting what i wondered was are there any uh more modern accounts of coming you know face to face with the grim reaper yeah turns out there are there are i was gonna say that's a really good one to explore because you don't see a lot of him about lately or it doesn't feel like you do even though there's a lot for him to be around there are so I discovered this account. So this is um, this is a, an author called Tom Sleeman, and he writes a series of books called Haunted Liverpool. So I think he's kind of a little bit similar to uh, Ruth Roper Wild. He yep. 
he he takes uh, paranormal encounters and records them, and he he specialises, as you probably guessed, in Liverpool, yeah. and he so i really like this this is uh, an article he wrote for the wirral globe and he starts off by saying a sizable percentage of the reaper reports have allegedly taken place in the wirral and i've just like blimey why the wirral that seems <laughs> it's a hotbed yeah absolutely it's a of the grim reaper um so I, I chose one and I thought this was a really good one. It And uh, it happens in a place called Irby, uh, I-R-B-Y, on April the 26th, uh, 1954. And it's a Monday. And he reports that many people in Irby saw a strange, abnormally tall figure resembling a hooded monk in a long black habit, slowly walking along a road called Thingwall Road, and then subsequently Mill Hill Road. And some of the people that relay this account, uh, one of the people is a milkman, and he's on his pre-dawn rounds. And he approaches the figure out of pure curiosity, and he's shocked to see it just vanish into the early mist. But the later, uh, later on that day, the figure was seen by a postman and a policeman, as well as several residents. That's brilliant. And not one of these witnesses would approach the figure as they sensed it was something weird and unearthly. Apparently, that is something that comes through wow. all those accounts. Well, yes, but then is later there, is, on... Is there any reports of the scythe? There, there aren't reports of the scythe, no. It's about this um, tall, black tall hooded... figure. This black, tall, hooded figure. But I, for the purposes of this podcast and... To, <laughs> To make all of this work, I'm going to assume that he's he's hidden the scythe under his cloak. Yeah, I, I've got that kind of you know like a like a samurai warrior. It's it's in the the nape of his back. Yeah, or it's extendable. It could it could be either. Let's not talk about his extendable scythe. <laughs> but this is this is where it gets. So you know who the figure we're talking about. Later that day, a strange double tragedy took place on the road where the black-headed entity had been ah. prowling. So Eileen McDonough, who was 27, and her fiancé, David Mitchell, not that one, right. both of whom had only recently moved to Irby from the remote village of Roundston on the shores of Galway Bay to find work, were killed as they jumped off a moving bus. The bus was decelerating as it approached the top, uh, sorry, the stop at Irby and was travelling at less than 10 miles per hour. And yet Eileen and David were killed as they both fell over as their, te- as their feet touched the floor. So wow. basically, uh, I left the rest of the account out because it's a little bit grim, but basically they get hit by the bus and it's the impact of being pushed to the floor by the bus, even though it's going so slowly, it it basically fractures their skulls and they both wow. um, bleed out. And did people see that they didn't see this figure at that time? It was just seen... No, they saw thing. it that morning. Right. So what you've got is this peculiar figure that is seen by multiple witnesses in the early hours. And it's the very early hours because, you know, we, we, we hear from the postman before it's even light. Uh, sorry, the milkman before it's even light. And he's the only one to approach the figure and it sort of melts into the mist. I've got, I've, got the, I've got this vision, though, <laughs> that the Grim Reaper's line manager 
<laughs> so the Grim Reaper gets down there. Oh, my line manager, he's done it again. <laughs> 3 a.m. 3 it says. It's supposed to be 3 p.m. That's why he's there. <laughs> That's what happens when you rely on Microsoft Outlook for your calendar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The What's time he doing? What was he doing for the rest of the time? I'll just have a wander around. Or was a milkman. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want a bit of bump into the Grim Reaper unnecessarily when you're not supposed to. No, no, you you definitely don't. But isn't it, I think that's really weird, and I I really I think what you're saying there about the reports of the Mothman, I think that's really similar. It's kind of like because it's not this isn't we're not talking like a huge scale tragedy. Yes, it's horrible for the people involved. Yeah, yeah. but it's it's only two people dying. But this account is it, you got multiple witnesses. You've got the same report of this tall black cowled figure and then this peculiar thing happens later in the day and i think what's also weird about it is that it's not like um it's not a normal accident they're two young people who are pushed to their death by a slow moving bus yeah, we, yeah. it's that's, an that's, it's an odd thing there's something darwin awards about it yeah absolutely it's a it's a weird thing but it does sort of it fits in with the whole death stalking you kind of thing but but it does this is quite different to my earlier accounts of you know aliens going around with um biological weapons this is simply a portentous thing and and I, I, i kind of keep thinking I know we joked about it, but it's like, well, you know, either the Grim Reaper's there for everyone. I can't believe he's just selective. Do you know what I mean? Which which means you'd kind of been seeing him all the time. Why, you know, why in this account, in whatever it was, 1950, whatever, Four. 1954, yeah. did he suddenly get seen? He'd be seen all the time, wouldn't he? Unless, unless like I said, they got the timing wrong and he chipped up too early, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I, not, I'm, I think you're I'm, right weirdly you're kind of you know polluting um polluting alien creatures of, um and and weird space debris is resonating more with me yeah no i i agree i agree the the, the this could be completely unrelated like in those earlier stories, the uh, the entities and the craft are directly associated with a mass outbreak of disease. This is a peculiar tall figure who then later on seems to relate to two people who are knocked over by a bus. They do seem to be two different kinds of things. But it's an interesting take on it. And I suppose yeah. what I'm... Maybe there is something to be said for uh, those earlier accounts of, you know, perhaps alien beings who were doing the spraying of the, uh, the, the, the disease. Maybe that took hold in people's imagination, which caused us to perceive the Grim Reaper thing, like that. Yeah. And then we have some sort of sixth sense where we know something bad is going to happen 
And the way that that manifests itself is through this popular image yeah. of the Grim Reaper. That is possibly the connection between them. Yeah, also, yeah, some passed down, you know, yeah. Interesting. I keep thinking back to the um, one of the early examples you gave of them seeing the the, the figures in the fields mm-hmm. and with with the tech with potentially technology and yeah, yeah that's kind of stuck with me. And again, because obviously you cut crops with a scythe, you could see how the the kind of the the scythe imagery around the Grim Reaper could have developed from that. Yes, absolutely. Well, that that original account there, where the the locals who come out to see them, and the movement they're making and the sound that they make is suggesting that they're cutting oats, and yet the oats remain standing. That's yeah. a that's a peculiar thing, and, and also like what? <laughs> who comes out in the middle of the night dressed like that? A number <laughs> of you to pretend to cut oats <laughs> stuck and, and dave again <laughs> oh my god <laughs> they've they've been around doug and dave are the grim reaper <laughs> yeah. they, pro- they probably alternate because because you know doug had problems with his wife that time when he kept disappearing all the time <laughs> <laughs> that's why you only see one of them together maybe they can only afford one cloak <laughs> I've got to go out, love. I've got to reap some souls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I thought you were having an affair. <laughs> <laughs> Good God. Well, look, I then went on to see if I could find any more sort of scientific base basis for the Grim Reaper. Yeah. And um, bizarrely, I ended up at the BMJ, the British Medical Journal. Oh, well, there's a leap. I wasn't expecting you to say that. Well, I didn't realise that you could present uh, scientific studies in a tongue-in-cheek way. Uh, and yet, and yet, they published a study uh, which the objective was to determine the speed of which the, at which the Grim Reaper walks. <laughs> brilliant i love that i love that already i don't care what you're gonna say it's brilliant (laughs) um and what speed does he walk at ben well i can tell you that so the study involved 1705 men aged 70 or more participating (laughs) in the concord health and aging in men project which is based in sydney australia and their conclusion was that the Grim Reaper's preferred walking speed is 0.82 miles per second, about two miles or three kilometres per hour under working conditions. That's, that's, a, that's a brisk walk. It's a reasonably brisk walk. And Especially I think, when you're carrying a heavy scythe. So, so what, they, what they're really, really getting at is that if your average walking speed exceeds that... Uh, of 0.82 uh, uh, sorry 2 miles per hour then you're in good health and so what, right. what what this study is really trying to show is that uh, to maintain good health at uh, a geriatric age that right. is the speed you should aim to be walking at because it's the a contra- metaphor for staying one step ahead of the grim reaper correct correct but it does pop up like the whole study is called 
to determine the speed of which the Grim Reaper walks. So um, I thought that was quite good. And now we have a scientific basis. It turns out he's a bit of a lazy sod. Right. Well, um, he'd he'd be catching everyone otherwise, wouldn't he? He would. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, Maybe his cloak's a bit tight at the bottom as well. He can't move his legs quickly. Well, also, he's a skeleton, so... It's right. going to be a bit squeaky and creaky, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, <laughs> did they, again... Did they factor this all in into the study? The fact that he was <laughs> a skeleton? That, yeah. No, what, they, what the, the, con- the general conclusion of the study is that um, the final quote from the entire study is, as none of the men in the study with walking speeds of three miles per hour or greater had contact with death. This seems to be the, uh, the Grim Reaper's most likely <laughs> maximum speed. For those wishing to avoid their allotted fate, this would be the advised walking speed. So... Doesn't help your bus story, though. It doesn't... <laughs> <laughs> no. I have presented you lots and lots of different facts about the Grim Reaper. And I'm um, focusing on the bus. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to focus on the bus. I think the most exciting part about the Grim Reaper is that he is a plague era yeah. extraterrestrial entity who was testing some kind of biological warfare on the human race and that's what I'm going to stick with. I it makes me wonder in kind of hundreds and hundreds of years time whether there'll be some kind of mythology about a mask wearing, you know, something or other that's connected with, you know, COVID nineteen. Oh, yeah. Because I was thinking, you know, because I was thinking about your guy with the, you know, with the the beak. You know, I, I wonder. Your plague doctor. Your plague doctor, whether there'll be similar kind of after it's all faded away and it's all been forgotten about in hundreds and hundreds of years, whether there'll be some mythology about a kind of surgical mask wearing entity. Oh yeah, well um, there was that Doctor Who, wasn't there? One of the original episodes of the the reincarnation back in the, I guess two thousand four something like that. The um, uh, of the boy in the gas mask. Mm. Yeah, 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 that's the, true. The Are You My Mummy uh, thing. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. funny, that mask connection, though, isn't it? I guess, you know, because, I mean, you can see it now. It does make sense to wear a mask and, you know, to, to an airborne virus and spread by, you know, saliva, spit, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, but... That kind of association with mask and plays does go back a long way. Oh, before, yeah, absolutely. Before that was even known as a thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because as you said, those, those, those plague doctors weren't wearing those masks to protect themselves from the kind of airborne virus, right? As far as I know. Like, it was, it was there to, to stop the smell. If, if Yeah, well, like I say, the people who were doing it they thought that the smell itself carried the disease and if you could stop the smell okay so they were kind of so they were kind of right they were they were kind of right yeah yeah um and i think what is intriguing about that is that those earlier uh accounts of this um stench filled mist 
Like, like again, they're either sort of trying to explain it in the way, the best way they know how. Like, um, it's like the smell of death is coming through and they're trying to paint a story that everybody will understand. Yeah. Or, or you can look at it literally and go, yeah, there was this uh, awful smelling mist and that was the thing that was carrying the disease. Yeah, and, it, and, I, and I was thinking, you know, that's not that's not a normal... That's not a normal way you would describe mist in terms of a smell and in terms of a, a look. I mean, you remember I was, I, earlier I was talking about pollution, mm. but I, I just pyroclastic cloud just popped into my head as well because that's something that's black and dark and foul-smelling and, you know, volcanic pyro, pyroclastic clouds. Oh, um, yeah, okay, interesting, yeah. Because I was trying to think of, well, where, where, where might there be a natural occurrence of a dark coloured mist that's badly smelling and I guess py- a py- I can't say it now pyroclastic cloud would definitely fit that and it does bring death yes that's true yeah or if you've ever been in the same house as me after a vindaloo that's also <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm not, I'm not sure there's going to be a great mythology created by <laughs> I dream of one day people will talk of those Vindaloo wins, the spice (laughs) wins. But maybe, maybe your, you know, your theory about kind of aliens coming and biological warfare, maybe it's much simpler than that. Maybe the Earth is like a low rent holiday destination for aliens who've not got very good spaceships. Do you know what I mean? They've just got really heavy, polluting, rubbish spaceships. They come down here. There's all this crap coming out the back because they can't afford a really decent spaceship. We, we we are the kind of, you know, low-rent holiday destination of the universe, maybe. Well, that, I guess, yeah, that's quite possible. <laughs> that is quite possible. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen those sun holidays for £9.50. Yep. Yep. Maybe this is what that is. It's, it's the interstellar equivalent of that. Well, I think, as with all of these things, um, it'd be quite interesting if any of our listeners have ever had a physical encounter with an Reaper. entity that looks a little bit like the Grim Reaper. And are, and are we, are we going to include hooded monks in that? Or are we, are we, so what's the I, difference between a hooded monk? Taller? I think taller... Um, scythe optional, but ideal. Scythe optional, ideal. Um, skeletal features, ideal. Um, predicting some kind of death is probably um, mandatory. I'd also be really interested to see if there's any examples out there that people have seen or know about of you know heavily polluting UFOs. Mm. <laughs> that you know either spreading some kind of biological mark or or just poorly maintained spacecraft that would be really interesting to find yeah out. yeah they're always so kind of wow aren't they that's true that's true what's that um i can't remember what it's called the uh the russian aircraft carrier that every time it 
you see it on television. Oh yeah, yeah, it's spewing all kinds it's of stuff. Spewing yeah, all kinds yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like it's that. So it's the the yeah. UFO equivalent of that would be really interesting. Yeah, to know. yeah. Oh, you know, is there an MOT system for for alien spacecraft? I don't know. Well, yeah. funnily enough, I'm covering that next week. Oh, are you <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I, uh, I did. Uh, did you um, did you read the story about the the Rendlesham uh, incident being a prank by the SAS? Did you read that story last week? Uh, is that the one where it was supposedly there was acid involved, LSD? Um, yeah, there was a story recently about the uh, the Rendlesham UFO case, which is kind of what <coughs> this Rendlesham Forest incident, which is kind of what the UK's Roswell, right? Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, during the Christmas of 1980, American troops at two air bases in Suffolk told how they witnessed strange bright lights for three nights in a row. They carried out top-secret sorties into surrounding woods, and one even claimed to have got close enough to the triangular spacecraft. Now it's been reported the bizarre encounter may have been nothing more than an elaborate hoax launched by British Special Forces troops. The claim they were caught testing the security of RAF Woodbridge and was subject to brutal interrogation. The, re- the re- regiment had made repeated forays into the camp, demonstrating where the weakness were in its fortifications. So I think this is the Americans had done this to RAF Woodbridge. It basically would do sorties to show how bad the security was at the British airbase. Uh, the regiment of blah, blah, blah. One night in August 1980, an, an SAS team parachuted into the area but were caught just after they touched down. It claimed they were dragged away by their captors who dubbed them unidentified aliens. They were beaten for hours on end and were repeatedly accused of being aliens. The men were only freed after the Ministry of Defence in London interviewed, intervened and were left seething about what had happened. Shocking claim is made uh, in a letter to UFO enthusiast Dr David Clark from uh, a trooper three years ago. An elite soldier calling himself Frank wrote, They called us aliens, right? And we thought we'd show them what aliens really looked like. Months later, the SAS unit is said to have launched its bizarre revenge plan. So, yeah, the whole story <laughs> is basically that it, it, was a, it was a massive hoax in retaliation uh, by British SAS troops uh, on on the American airbase based into the UK. Oh, I find that a bit disappointing. That's incredibly disappointing, isn't it? Yeah. But, well, you know, but like you said, I mean, I've seen the guys interviewed who were were dark duped by. You know, I don't know if you've seen the three American soldiers who were on the mm. airbase who saw the craft were interviewed, and they came across incredibly. They certainly believed they'd seen something weird, and it kind of just been, you know, a few SAS soldiers and a Land Rover dressed up to look like an alien spaceship. So, unless some kind of you know hallucinogenic drugs were involved, I'm not sure that story really, you know, holds weight. But no, well, also preceding that event there are um accounts of uh lights in the sky people uh, uh people who are guarding the base reporting uh over consecutive nights lights appearing over the sky over the base uh 
And then some less publicized accounts talk of, um, so it still isn't a matter of public record that there are nuclear weapons there, but it seems fairly obvious that there were. There are talks of um, unassigned accounts of people talking about how the nuclear weapons were stood down and um, tampered with. So... Yeah, I don't buy that. That, to me, sounds either somebody who's glory hunting for a story uh, or um, misinformation. Yeah, mis- misdirection. Misdirection, yeah, uh, absolutely. But it does, it, it's interesting you raise that point because it does tie us back to the topic of today. You know, it's, it's, it's well accepted um, in the UFO-believing community that, you know, aliens... Uh, have come to kind of either protect us or interfere with our nuclear programs, our nuclear weapons, our yeah. nuclear ability. You know, so it's not a huge difference to say, well, they might be conducting biological or, you know, genetic type experiments, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the X Files was based on that, right? <laughs> absolutely. And, and then. You know, you you look at the work of Linda Moulton Howe and yep. the cattle mutilations and things like that. That only makes sense in the context of genetic investigation or uh, manipulation. And then lots and lots of the abductee stories talk about the taking of, you know, genetic material you know sperm from men eggs from women and i know that obviously forms the backbone of um some of the final stories of the x-files but that is based on those accounts and there is there is plenty of people like in um a documentary i made a number of years ago i interviewed uh, a guy who claimed to be a star child he claimed that one of his parents was an alien now i don't necessarily believe that that is true i think there was a lot more going on there but that is a commonly held belief amongst a lot of people who claim to have alien encounters and i don't like i've always said like you can believe it or disbelieve it but um you know maybe people just make this stuff up or maybe it's true who knows well ben that was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. And if they're not engaged in some biological experiments here on Earth, I wish they'd just get the exhaust fixed on that spaceship. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe their DPF filter's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They need new catalytic converters. Excellent. Maybe Alfa Romeo just makes spaceships. Who knows? <laughs> They'd never get anywhere if they oh, did. <laughs> they would look beautiful. They'd though, look amazing they? and you'd really want one, <laughs> but it would get you nowhere in the universe. <laughs> so if you've well, had an encounter with death or you have an Alfa Romeo that hasn't broken down, we'd yeah, like to hear from you. Yeah, I, th- I think the former is more likely than the latter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's 100% likely, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll leave you with that dilemma um and we'll see you next time on the quantum mechanics see you next time
Are you the quantum mechanics?